0: Welcome to Hubstaff's
1: Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode number 51 of Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci. Today, I'm talking with Keith Perhack of DelphiNet. DelphiNet is a technical marketing agency that at its peak had a team of 14 people spread around the world servicing clients in Japan and the U.S. But Keith's life was a constant battle of managing client expectations, managing his team, and putting out whatever fires popped up in between. One day, the bottom fell out. Today, Keith's agency has only six employees, but they're doing around $1 million a year in revenue. To get to this point, however, he had to take a step back and reevaluate his priorities. In doing so, Keith realized just how important it is to be deliberate, not just about when you hire, but also about whom you hire. And in this episode, Keith is going to share his hard-earned lessons about hiring the right way. Keith doesn't hold back at all in this interview, and he really dives into where things went wrong, and this is truly one of the most honest looks into an agency that I've had on the show. So without further ado, here's Keith. Keith, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, man. Of course. And so you have a really cool story. And I want the listeners to actually hear that. And usually this is kind of like a throw a throwaway question, but for you, it's really not. Can you explain what it is you do today at DelphiNet and how you
1: ended up there? Yeah. So DelphiNet is the agency that I started, and we are a technical marketing agency. And that, that sounds all pretty standard on the, the front end, but... The thing I think that you're referring to is the fact that until three months ago, I was not in the U.S. at all, even though all my clients were. And we actually started the, the company in Japan uh, about six or seven years ago. Um, so we, are, we were 100% remote, even to the point where I wasn't on the same time zone. I wasn't even awake at the same time as most of my clients. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it gives us some interesting interesting challenges. Now, there's some good points about that, which was we had essentially 24-hour coverage for all our clients, right? Someone was awake at all points during the day. But a, I had a lot of early mornings and a lot of late nights trying to make sure that I could get on client calls all the time.
0: You had a Mixergy interview where you really dove into that. So we, I don't want to rehash all of it, but for listeners, if you're curious about that backstory, check out the Mixergy interview but it's it's a cool story and it's funny because you how roughly how big are you guys today?
1: Uh we fluctuate a lot. We're at six people right now. Um I'd have to check revenue, but we're just under a million, I believe, mm-hmm. in revenue.
0: Nice. And cuz what has that ramp up been like? Like how has it been just linear slow no. growth <laughs> or has <It's> it <laughs>
1: been horrible? <laughs> <laughs> um we it all comes in spurts right so we had we grew a lot and i had a lot of focus i had a lot where i could focus 100% on the business we were growing very fast revenue wise and we hired a lot of people and at one point we were 14 people uh, we had a Japanese team that was focusing on marketing to Japanese clients. We had a U.S. team that was focusing on marketing to U.S. clients, as well as the dev, design, and marketing teams kind of fulfilling, doing all the pro- the development and the, the, the producing deliverables, right? Um, then the bottom kind of fell out of that after... What happened? It, a number of things. So the I think a lot of people also have this where you grow and you're growing and you have this influx of money and you're like, okay, I could. we need to grow this as fast as we can. And when you're three people, you have a way of working and that doesn't work when you're 14 people, right? Um, back when we were really small, when it was just two or three of us, we all owned everything, right? We, we hopped on Slack or there wasn't Slack back then, whatever we chatted on, I think Skype. And we just kept talking and we talked through any problem and, everything was collaborative and things got done well you can't do that when you're 14 people because everyone's working on something different we had at that point i think 15 to 20 clients um so everyone's working on something different they all have different uh expertise so the designer has no idea what the developer's saying the marketer has no idea what either of them are saying um so there but and there's where one person could manage everything. Now you're having to put things into teams. And some people were speaking Japanese, some people weren't. And like, (laughs) there's just so much going on. What was your role at that point? My role at that point was mainly uh, sales and promotion. So I had a couple of event people who were scheduling me to go give talks um i got into i got a couple of articles in the huffington post i had a like i think monthly we did a seminar locally and then i would generally travel out to tokyo osaka wherever to give a speech or some sort of seminar there as well um meeting with lots of clients pressing the flesh just getting the name out there and trying to grow the business which honestly once you get past maybe five people that's what you as a business owner really need to be doing, which is because no one's going to be able to sell it as well as you are. Right. But that also comes in the problem of you're able to sell it because you know it and you have the experience and you know what you're doing. Right. So then you have to, but you have to let go of that, right. You have to let go of the doing in order to focus on the selling and to make sure that everyone's happy and their strategy and everything's moving, right. That the business is growing. And that's where it started crumbling where, Okay, I'm focusing on getting more clients, and it's going really well, but we never put the process in place because we grew too quickly, right? We never had a slow ramp up of, okay, now we're six people. Okay, now we're seven. Now we're eight. It was more like, hey, we're three. Holy crap, we're six. And hey, where did the <laughs> other seven people just come from, right? Right.
0: Were there any red flags along the way or was there one thing where you were just like all right something needs to change what happened was it just waking up one day and looking around like what did i build
1: what was that what the big, happened the biggest thing was when clients started saying hey where are my deliverables i think it still happens to a degree i think we're getting much better at it um but at the end of the month when i send out invoices and we're like okay, everyone has a retainer. So did I provide 40 hours worth of value to this client, right? Not did I spend 40 hours? Cause that's a completely different thing. I could, some, and we'll get into this as, as we talk about the right people to hire, but you can't charge someone 40 hours for a single landing page, right? I mean, maybe you can, but you're not going to keep them as a client very long, right? So the problem then is I was starting to see clients who either a, we're not getting the hours that they had inv- paid for, right? At which point I, I of course didn't charge them or B they're getting hours, but not quality, right? We haven't given them any deliverable. So maybe we sent them 20 designs and they were all like, Oh yeah, that's great. But in two months we never pushed anything out the door. There was no point where we were improving their site, right? We were giving deliverables, but not improving the metrics, which is what we focus the company around, right? And so we really had to have an internal view of our A is not it's not good enough just to provide hours. We need to be providing real value, right? Even if it's not what the client wants in a way, right? Because the client's asked for, oh, I want 20 designs for this. But we should step back and we should step up and say, no, you don't want 20 designs of this. You want three We'll start running that now, and then once we see that, then we'll iterate, right? Because, I mean, they don't pay us just to build stuff. They pay no, us you're, to be, you're
0: not a construction worker. You're
1: an expert. You're the architect. Exactly. They come we're, here for advice. We're a we're a consultancy. They come mm-hmm. because we know what the hell we're doing, and they want us to know. And so when that was some of the problems, right? We had people on the team who were not experts, maybe not really performing that expert role, but just listening to what the client wanted instead of what we knew was best. Right. So there were, Were yeah, were the clients interacting directly with the team members or what was that communication channel? Like how did that work? So we had, yeah, there was a couple, we've had a couple of times where that wall kind of broke down. So we generally tried to have people communicating with two or three of us. Right. So the, the manager slash strategy level, um, as communication broke down because we were too busy, we had more leakage, right? Where clients were emailing the developer directly, right? And as much as I love my developers, that is a, um, that is a recipe for disaster on all ends, right? Because A, just like, just like myself, the developer wants to please the client. They want to do a great job right? All my employees, they want to do a great job. If a client comes and says, hey, can you do this? They're like, yes, I will jump on that right now and do it. Well, then they don't understand all the other things that are moving with the company, and that throws everything off, else off balance. And I'm just as bad at that, right? There's a, <laughs> there's a reason that my, my project, my COO doesn't let me promise things to clients anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> you've, you've learned. I've learned. And I, I always say, whenever a client asks, when can this get done? I think, I, I, I say, I'm like Scott. Do you think that next <laughs> Friday is a good timeline? Yeah. And I let him make the decision because because la- that's not a place where I need to be.
0: What does the business look like at this point? Like, are are you profitable? Or, or how is it impacting these communication issues? These types of
1: staffing issues. How is it impacting the business itself? So we are profitable. Um, we go up and down on profitability only because. We try growing. We're trying different things to get our processes to work. Sometimes it costs more money. Sometimes it costs less. Um, also I, you know, as a business owner, the goal is to reach out into new verticals and to try and figure out where we can best use our talents to make more money. Right? So is that always getting new clients? Is that doing something like an online course? Is that something doing something like SaaS? What does that look like? So, We make a lot of false starts slash investments into that kind of stuff as well as our standard client stuff.
0: Yeah. So it's not that the business wasn't performing or anything like that. It's just there are a lot of fires that constantly needed to be put out.
1: Exactly. And that's been kind of our goal the last six to eight months, which is let's stop having so many fires right because when you have 14 people working over two continents two lang- uh, like four continents two languages doing marketing design development the whole shebang and two SaaS apps there's a lot of fires that need to be put out all the time and so right now what i and our focus for like 4 or 6 months has been let's slim things down let's get a good process so that when i say hey client a needs a new landing page and evergreen uh, warming funnel. We know exactly what that means. And it just goes boom, 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 like clockwork. We don't have this whole back and forth of, well, what's a landing page funnel? How many emails go in it, right? Like it's all standardized. It's a process that we all know how to do. Was there a tipping
0: point that made you realize we need to do things differently? Or was it just what happened to to lead to that? Yeah, multiple
1: ones. So the most recent one, so the one that caused me to to slow down what we were doing and to remove the Japanese side of things was essentially just not seeing return on investment and just being too tired is honestly, it was just burnout. The one that made me realize that we need more process and I need to get out of the management was the fact that I hadn't slept uh, in about, I think, four weeks or something, just because I was so stressed about if each client was getting stuff delivered to them, Different people have different personalities. Different people have different skill sets. They are okay at different things. Um, The idea of managing multiple things and managing expectations of people is so out of my comfort zone, right? Because I like people to be happy. And so whenever anyone emailed me that's like, hey, I thought you were supposed to have this yesterday, that just destroyed my life. Like, that was the worst. Like, even if it's not a mean email, just saying, hey, I thought I was supposed to have this yesterday freaked me out. So You're much- like, oh, I-, I let them down. I, I did. That's exactly what I felt like. I would drop everything. I'd jump into that. And then I had two clients email me. Oh, wait, I thought they were supposed to go And so now I'm torn and I'm freaking out, right? And so this increased and increased. Um, and this is while I had a project manager as well. And, and it's not like they weren't doing their job. It was just there was a lot of stuff. And so what... He and I decided, said, okay. I can't deal with this anymore. This is not what I'm good at. I'm good at building strategy. I'm good at providing tools. I'm good at coming up with the ideas and building out what we're going to do. But I can't manage uh, 10 clients, right? So we need to build SOPs or I need to build SOPs. I need to build checklists. I need to build process. And you and I need to work together. And you need to take over what's going on with everything because I can't do it. Right, And part of that, and one of the things I really want to talk about today, was the importance of hiring people who you can trust to do that, right? And we have hired a lot of people from different cultures, from different strategies, from different skill sets, and it's really hard to find people that are completely invested in your company and who who are going to do good work, right? And what we've really found is that we have, so we've tried a lot of nearshore, offshore, uh, freelancers, consultants, the whole kit and caboodle. And we've tried expensive people, we've tried cheap people, and the only thing that we've seen consistent is people who are focused on working with us and focused on our success, we get great results from. If they, if we're just another client or they have, a ton of other stuff going on in their life, or they just don't care about the work that we're doing, it's not, it usually doesn't work, right? Mm. And so for that, do you mean employees rather than contractors? No, I we actually have, so because we were a Japanese company, um, because of legal laws in Japan, we had, we were all contract employees. And I just kind of kept that as I, when we moved the company to the U.S., we're all contractors, Um, but it's, it's a, it's two things. First of all, most of us are full-time and then the people who aren't, there's an expectation of, okay, we're going to have this many hours each week. This is how much we are committed to you. We are committed to you. We have long-term contracts. So it's not like, hey, I'm going to hire you for 40 hours and then maybe I'll hire you for more. Most of our contracts are 12 months or more, right? Right. Um, so it's a long-term engagement. Okay. If you are invested in us, we are invested in you. How do you judge that? Like what, how do you say
0: like, all right, this person's invested.
1: <laughs> it's, it honestly, it goes through the quality of, it shows through the quality of the work. Um, cause there is really no way to tell right away. So what we have done is when we're bringing on someone new, we do a, a demo project with them, then we'll hire them for a month. So we have a month retainer then a three month retainer and then we usually go up to a six or 12 month after that. Right? So we kind of work our way up because it's really difficult to see is this person going to be a good fit? Are they going to be invested in the company? Especially when you're six people, one wrong hire is is a large portion of your team that now is dead weight, right? That's costing you money every month and not providing any real value for your clients.
0: When you're bigger, a hiring mistake isn't going to potentially break the company. It can reduce morale. It can have bad impacts. You might lose money on it. But like, when you're a team of six, one person is a huge part of your company culture, of, of, every, of your, everything that you're
1: doing. And if they're
0: not a right fit, it can have a huge impact on the business.
1: Yeah, I had a guy that I, I really liked working with. I'd been working with him a long time, um, but he wasn't a good fit with the team. And it, it, it killed me to do it, but it just it, those dynamics change, right? They, they always change. And that's why we've been very selective. You know, they say hire slow, fire fast, right? And that's what we've been trying to do as well. We've been trying to see, make sure that everyone fits in, that everyone understands the workload, the, the expectations, and that everyone gets along too. How did you actually implement this? I know you scaled down to six. Did you have to let go of clients at that point? Um, n- through natural selection, yes. Um, there there were a couple of clients who were like, hey, you're, you're not performing. We're going to have to let go. There were a couple of clients where we said, hey, we're moving in a different direction. Um, there were just a couple of clients where the contract was just over. So it was not a sudden okay we're letting go half the company and scaling down it was more of okay we're not moving in this direction anymore let's start phasing out so the first thing i did was i stopped doing any of the events so we let go of the event planner Um, i stopped doing any outbound marketing in japan so i let go of the the sales guy in japan and i let those contracts go down um, when they when they expired, I said, "Hey, we're not going to be picking up the the next quarter or whatever," um, and it just it took about I think three months, four months to kind of wean ourselves out of that. But yeah, it wasn't a sudden shift where, "Hey, you guys are are gone now," and "Hey, clients, uh, screw you," kind of thing. Yeah, no, exactly. It wasn't that at all.
0: No, I mean, knowing you, I'd have been a bit surprised if it, if it was. But, uh, but, uh, I'm yeah, so I'm non-confrontational;
1: serious. it's amazing.
0: <laughs> but so how? So you get down to six people, and you're really buckling down on not just on getting the SPs in place and getting the processes in place, but also on making these changes to the way you hire. Are you, are you looking at different sources for hiring? Like, where do you typically where are you finding contractors to work with now?
1: Um, it's been all over the place. The best people I've had have been through recommendations, and they are generally uh, individuals. So we had tried hiring a couple of agencies uh, through recommendations, and they just didn't really work. Like they were they were agencies that were made to supplement existing teams, right? So they had a mini team that came in, and um, one person was the lead. And then they kind of essentially pretty much what we do. Right. (laughs) Um, But without the strategy side of things and it didn't work out for the same reason that we were talking about, which is they're not as invested in our success. Maybe the lead is, but the developers or the artists or whoever was on the team, the team members were not right. (laughs) And so because we were just another client. Right. And so we had too many degrees of separation of people caring. And and that, that was very difficult. So what we've really been looking to do is finding people who a, are interested in the work that we're doing. So they're not just people who are it's not just a designer. It's a designer who's interested in marketing or interested in learning about marketing if they're not already. Right. Or developers who are interested in the type of work we're doing or build or building systems that talk to each other. Right. Because that's a lot of what we do. Um, I had talked to, we're looking, we were looking for a new developer and I was talking to a guy who's like really into react and the new JavaScript frameworks. Right. And I'm talking to him and he's like, yeah. Um, so you do all these landing pages. Could we rewrite these landing pages in react? I'm like, this is probably not going to be a good (laughs) fit." Like it's someone who he was very into the dev side. He was very into playing with the technology side of things. Um, but that does, that's not necessarily a good fit for us, right? Right.
0: And I want to dig into this a little deeper because when you talk about being invested, when you talk about these types of qualities, does it come down to just how much they care or is there more to it than that?
1: Caring is a big part. Um, I'm, I'm of the opinion that at a certain level, anyone can learn any skill, right? And there's always going to be designers that are horrible. Um, But a talented designer can always learn a new design style, right? A talented developer can always learn a new language and a new coding style. It's a desire. When I say invested, I think it means two things. One, it means that they care if the company succeeds or not, right? They're not just there for a paycheck. They care if they send me a landing page and say, hey, this took 130 hours to create this landing page, right? They care that it's that versus, hey, this took way too much time. I'm sorry, but here's the issues I was having. Or even reached out beforehand, right? It's not just a paycheck. It's something that they care about, what they're providing, and what they're providing to both me and our our clients, right? Do you the, feel like um, that uh, – not to interrupt, but do you feel like that is something that's
0: innate in a person? Or are there things you can do on the company side to encourage that sort
1: of buy-in from the employees? I think it's a little of both. Mm -hmm. I think that definitely there are ways to encourage it, and there's a lot more ways to discourage it, which is what Uh, you have to look out for. Um, And I think that innately all people want to do a good job, and they want to own what they build, especially in kind of the designer, copywriter, developer circles, the, the the circles that we are in, right? And the problem is, is if someone got to them first and discouraged them, or just kind of whipped that out of them, right? So that they're just going for the paycheck, right? And that's because I think I think that everyone, and maybe this is just me projecting too much. I think everyone wants to build something beautiful, right? But I also know, having worked for some clients, that if you're not valued. And what you do is always second-guessed or taken away from you, right? As far as like, oh, you did a design. That's great. Let me just tweak it all or let's get on the phone and I'll show you exactly where to move the mouse, right, (laughs) as as you fix this thing, Uh, which I have sometimes been guilty of, but I try not to, Um, but how much I've been on clients with clients like that where They just beat it out of you, right? It's you are just so frustrated, you just don't care anymore because you're not, you're obviously not valued, right?
0: Exactly. They don't, they don't respect the work that you're doing. They don't, they don't value you. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And I think that works. Just, I think it's just as important, if not more, for employees or contractors that you're working with long-term, because at the end of the day, you can fire a client. But do you really want to fire an employee or a contractor you've worked with for a year or two, invested this time and energy into because you are not valuing them, right? You want you want everyone you work with to feel valued, like they're doing a good job, right? And that doesn't mean sugarcoating everything. That just means when people come up with a good idea, tell them, hey, that's a great idea. When they have a when they bring something to the table, don't just dismiss it out out of hand. Right? Just I guess treat them like here, here's the biggest thing. And this is the thing that always used to annoy me when I was just doing consulting is after a year or so working with a client, let's say they would hire a new consultant to come in and make recommendations, right? And they would be the same recommendations that I had been trying to push forward for months. Right. But because the consultant comes in and he's new and flashy, he's like, Oh my God, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. Let's do, <laughs> let's do all of this. And, and, and you're just sitting there banging your head. I'm just the so wall. upset. Right. It's yeah. like, I've been trying to get these. I, this is what I've been saying for three months. Why couldn't you listen to me? And that's the important thing. Don't discount people just cause they've been there forever or they're not the new freshness or what you have to listen and value everyone on your team. If you're not valuing your team, why do you have a team? Right, why are they there if you don't value them
0: i've seen and talked to a lot of agency owners, and it seems like there's a couple different approaches. I was actually just speaking to Dan Golden, who runs a big agency in Chicago, and he was talking about getting employee buy in and what he called it was like you want your employees to act like entrepreneurs to act like owners to really care, but so that they they have somebody that's guiding them so that they can make decisions on their own, but it's it's working towards a better product, a better result for the client. And they do care about the business on the whole. But then you also have on the other side, you'll have the more highly productized agencies where it's checking a lot of boxes and that's about it. And so they're not as invested in their employees because they see it as more
1: replaceable. The cog in the wheel. Yep. Exactly. And I think both are valid. I'll, I'll put that out. I think both strategies are valid. It depends what type of company you want to run. Um, Now, I don't think that they're completely separate either, right? Because especially in a each person owns the project, has to have buy-in, is invested, you still need some checklists. You need SOPs. You need something to make sure that no matter how invested someone is, someone's going to forget something, right? That's yeah. just how people are. But I think that's
0: important too because if you don't have those things, if if someone has to do this one project a dozen different ways and you're not happy with any of them as a manager and you're, they're not getting where you want that's going to discourage them. And so having some of those SAPs is going to make them not as likely to go crazy and hate their job.
1: Right, exactly. And what I see – You know, usually uh, I guess we could call them like checkbox farms. I don't know. Like uh, (laughs) the the productized consulting or the productized services side of things, they usually have one person that has the buy-in, that has the owner. That's the project manager, right? And everyone else is just filling out the checkboxes, cogs in the wheel, right? So you're paying one person a lot of money and everyone else is probably paid very little money, right? Because they're just cogs in the wheel. They're easily replaceable. I actually prefer the other way where everyone's paid pretty much equal because everyone is equally invested in the success. And everyone, when everyone's invested that much, I know that I'm paying for smart people to solve problems on their own, right? Because at the end of the day, especially with a team of six – at the end of the day, the person with all the answers, quote unquote, when no one has, when no one knows what to do, right? So there's like 20 things that could be done, which is the correct one. That goes to me, right? So the more unanswered questions that people have, if they don't feel like they have the buy-in and the ability, I, when I say ability, I mean the the permission. Let's say, right? Permission yeah. to make those decisions. They all come to me, right? And that's a I think that's a horrible way to run a company for me personally with like a team of six. I'm going to
0: stop Keith right there for a quick word from our sponsor, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
1: The Agency Advantage
0: podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or whatever else your team decided to use that week and start getting the insights you need that can only come from having accurate data all in one place. Our best clients are agency owners, and while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork but without the crazy fees, where they really find the is by being able to connect Hubstaff with their project management tool to see how much time it really takes to deliver each part of a project. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I've been absolutely blown away by how many times an agency owner has come up to me and said, Andy, we started using Hubstaff a month ago, and after looking over the data, we realized we've actually been losing money on one of our most popular services. If you don't know what your real profit was on your last project, then you'd need to try Hubstaff out. To say thanks for tuning into the show, Hubstaff is offering all of our listeners a 30% discount on all of our plans. All you need to do is head over to try.hubstaff.com forward slash podcast and use the coupon code ADVANTAGE. That's try.hubstaff.com forward slash podcast and coupon code ADVANTAGE. All right, let's get back to Keith. I was just talking to, to Brian Castle and like he has a very different approach. When someone comes up with a client, whoever comes up with something that's like not out of scope, but that requires a change in their process, it automatically has to go to him and then he'll adjust all the processes to account for that so that next time it doesn't. And it's like, if that's your personality and if, if that's the business you want to build, that like that's fine, there are ways to make it work. But if you don't want to have this rigid structured company business and you don't want to, you want to let the people solve it on their own then you need to empower them to be able to make those decisions.
1: And Brian is honestly the master of the SOP. Like I I want him to coach me on how to make good <laughs> SOPs to be honest. He I I've actually I've been a client of his. I've talked to him, uh, I've been on his podcast. He is just it is amazing what he's been able to do. Now, the difference between Brian's company and mine is that he has a very – and we're talking about this. He has a very productized uh, service that he's providing, right? He, they write blog posts. They have a format that they follow. And it doesn't make sense to have something like what we do because we do very much off-the-cuff, um, what they call done-for-use you bespoke, yeah. right? We are yeah. bespoke services. Now, it's interesting because we always start with a set – productized offering so we always start with an evergreen funnel or something similar to that some something that we know we can produce know we can produce well and get really good improvements for the client and then we kind of go into okay what do you want us to work on next this is where we think we'd be good and so from starting from month two or three we're really all over the place as far as what we are doing for the client right so and that's why in our specific case we can't do it as a as a checkbox, right? Because there's no more this is how we this is each step of the way. So we have to have people who have buy in. We can't have a developer have coded up a page and say and just stick it out there when the buttons don't work or the or the analytics isn't there or something isn't right. Right? right.
0: And then a lot of the value that you're providing to maintain these retainers is the extra strategy that's going to be more custom to each client you're not offering the same exact thing and you're going to start from a similar place but as you dig in as you see what works what doesn't you're going to adjust and you need people who are able to adjust not like you said not in terms of capability capability but they're allowed to they're given the permission to because you trust them because they do have that buy-in exactly exactly so I'm curious. So to boil this down a little bit, I mean we talked about a lot, but to boil it down a little bit. <laughs> we went way off the rails. Yeah, but, but it's funny because I think agency owners a lot of times intuitively they're going to relate more to your method of an agency. They're, whether or not they're, they're full stack, whatever, full service, whatever they want to call it, they're going to be doing different things for different clients. Some want to work towards the truly productized service. They want to have just do the same thing, build the machine, let it scale, and that's it. But for the ones that do want to stick with this more bespoke route, how would you recommend for them to kind of avoid some of these mistakes with staffing? How would you recommend that they get started getting this buy-in from current employees or new ones even?
1: So the biggest staffing issue that I would that I would warn against is growing too fast. Um, especially if you're a small company, I would never hire two people at the same time, for example, uh, no matter how much you think you need it. Uh, people always say, when you, th- when you have found that you need a new person, it's already too late. You need to be hiring about three months before you need them, right? Um, and that's especially true when you're small because you have to make sure that they have ramp up time, you have to make sure that they're a good fit. Um, so I would definitely recommend doing a kind of graduated uh, w- one project, one month, three months, six months, 12 months, whatever, um, contract if you're able to, right? uh, make sure that you're good working together. Um, as far as getting buy-in one, this is is something difficult that we've been having to work with as we've been hiring new people. It was much easier when it was just, uh, people who have been with the company for years. One of the things that we've started doing is whenever we bring on a new client or a new project, we have a meeting with everyone, right? And that's not just all the strategy people or all the designers or whatever. It's everyone gets together and says, Hey, this is what we're doing for this client. This is the process that we're using. These are the things that we've built in the past that are similar. Uh, This is how many hours we expect people to be working on this client and just talk about the client, what they do. So people understand not only what we need to do, but why we're doing it right for this client, right? Like why are we not completely redesigning this client's site? Because he really likes his current design, um, and has attachment to it? Or why are are we redesigning everything when everything looks good? Oh, they're tired of it, right? Like, why are we doing the things that we're doing?
0: And is that why that informs people, gives them the context that they can make some of those decisions down the road without having to go to you or just doing their own thing? And then when it comes to the client, the client's like, this is not at all what I was looking for.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Which we've had a couple of clients where we didn't do that. And that's exactly what came back it's like hey this isn't we weren't all on the same page here Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm.
0: and so i'm curious for for delphi what does the future look like are you going to i know you're going to slow things down in terms of growth for growth's own sake but like do you see yourself staying this this nimble highly trained team highly skilled team or are you in a year
1: from now, are you going to keep hiring? What, where do you see DelphiNet going? I think we're almost at the size we want to be, maybe two more people. I definitely want to stay under 10. Uh, the goal right now that I have set out is getting internal process for clients working, uh, specifically handoff, right? Um, we need to make sure that clients get what they expect, know what they're getting, how much they're being charged for what, and just have a view of everything that's coming down the, that we're doing things right, right? Once that is in place, and we've been working like four months on the six months on this so far, uh, once that's in place, the goal is to take our SaaS products, which we have developed and turn them into essentially clients for ourselves. Because I know that a lot of the team, they want to, just like they want to own the work they're doing for clients, they want to own something for us. Right. So we have three internal projects that we're looking at that we want to focus more time on, but we can't have a lot of wasted time going to clients. And once we have the processes in place, we can do the exact same thing we're doing with our clients with our with our internal projects. So that's the I see.
0: So the the growth goal, the the long-term play is is keep the clients coming, but then then slowly transition the real Scale, I guess you could say is going to come from working on the SAS projects as though they
1: are clients. Like that's where that, that's your what I'm are. Okay. Right now you have, you have Segmetrics and summit evergreen. What's the third? One? Uh, the third one is actually an info product that, uh, I was supposed to release next week. Uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> I have literally not written the, I'm working with a team of consultants and they're like, Oh, all we need is an outline and then we can start. And I have literally not written a word on that outline. Um, I know what the product is going to be about. I know the branding and the positioning, but I have not written a single word towards uh, actually creating it.
0: That actually transitions really well into the rapid fire questions. And again, I'm (laughs) going to, I'll go through them quickly, but you don't need to respond in a sound bite. Okay. So what do you like right now? What is taking up too much of your time? So you can't do things like write that outline.
1: Um, Stress is is no more. No, the the biggest one right now is trying to figure out this project process and trying to make sure that things are going smoothly. There's a lot of shakeup with what we're doing. We changed our management software. We're changing the way we manage. We're changing a lot of stuff. They're trying to find out how to structure this correctly uh, so that we can be more effective. And so that is taking up the lion's share of my mental capacity and my time and then if
0: you had that time freed up like what is something that right now you don't think you're spending enough time on
1: um if that time so one is writing that outline and starting the course and then the second one is there's a lot of things that i've been wanting to get out the door for sigmetrics there's a lot of a strategy there's a lot of features that haven't been launched yet even though they're done and there's a lot of because the marketing is behind right I don't have time to do the marketing I want to do on it. I see. So that's a that's a big thing.
0: Interesting. And so what are you hoping to accomplish in the next month? Is it
1: really just getting hopefully getting that Not outline explode. done? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Not explode. Yeah. Not explode. Um no, like, the number one thing I would like to have done by the end of this month and I I think I just have to put the course on hold until next year, uh, which is kind of sad, but um what i would like to get done is to have the process dialed in so that my coo can take charge of all the clients and that i come in for strategy and building tools so the team can work better i don't think i i need to get out of that stressful world as much as possible
0: I see. and we we talked a little bit about the long-term plans for DelphiNet and how it's going to be Focus on the SaaS, keep the team small, still work with clients, but really treat your other projects as clients. But do you, like right now, do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? Like, is this something where you see you've started the process of acting on these changes, but do, are you
1: at a point where you're like, all right, things are clicking now, we have several ways to go, but we're making progress? I think so. It's an interesting question because I think we are making progress. But because I am, and I'm fully transparent, I am not a great manager. I'm good working with people, I'm good understanding strategy, managing tickets, managing communication is not my strong point. So I know that we're making progress because it's getting better. but do I see a light at the end of the zone? No, because <laughs> because I, I don't know. I'm sure that there will be, but I can't see it yet. and I'm and I'm relying very much on my COO and the, the other people in the strategy team to kind of help me through that. Cause it's not my, um, it's not my forte.
0: When would you like, what would have to happen for you to wake up one day, look around and be like, all right, like this is what I was hoping to build. Would it just be not to get called in the middle of the night with a client? Would it be to have like, how would you know? All right, I've done it. Like This is what I wanted.
1: So I keep doing these litmus tests every now and then where, like, for example, I was telling you I flew to Minneapolis this week um, for three days. So I was pretty much out of touch for three days. Like, I answered a couple of phone calls, and the test is, when I come back, is everything on fire or are things okay? And I've done it a couple of times. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. My... Ultimate test would be and I had a client do this to his team once which is why I think it's a great idea Um, He left for two weeks He went to I think he went to Thailand for two weeks and he said keep the company running (laughs) Like we had we had plans we had things we had to launch like it wasn't like the company was just sitting still like there were goals that we had to achieve and he's like I will be around for two phone calls during the next two weeks, unless things go horribly awry. You need to take care of it. Um, How would it go? It went well. We actually joked that we should um, call Madame Trudeau and have a wax model made of him, and then we could just have the videographer like take old sound clips and the wax <laughs> doll and completely replace him. Right. <laughs> and so we uh, we just kind of take on without him. Uh, so it did went it went very well, but. I don't think that my company is at a point yet where I could disappear for two weeks without um, my COO coming and murdering me. So
0: I'm also not sure what would happen to you if you just went away for two weeks. I think you would go crazy and come back after a few days. I don't
1: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I had a good time in Minneapolis. I'll put it that good. way. No,
0: that's good. <laughs> to, and to, I'm glad because like, it does seem like you're making progress. And I'm mm-hmm. sure, and I think the way your personality is is that you're going to take a lot of this on mentally yourself, and and really tie into that. But it does, right. as an outsider, it does seem like you're making progress, and so I'm excited to to see. Hopefully, in in six months, to see what it's like Me and, too. <laughs> and see the changes you've come. And so, hopefully,
1: are you going to microconf this year? I am. So I'm going to starter, and then I'll probably be around for build as well. So I'll just be mm-hmm. kind of hanging out uh, in the lobby for build, nice. and then I'll actually come and attend starter. Um, but there's one thing I want to mention because I hit on something there, yeah. which is you have to decide – as a business owner, you have to decide what you are good at at the business right? and mm-hmm. focus on that. Brian is great at building those SOPs. He's great exactly. at building that process so that other people can follow it. I am great at coming up with the ideas and strategy that are going to grow the company. right? Mm-hmm. You have to hire people who can do what you can't. Right? Yep. Or what you're not willing to do?
0: Yeah. This is funny. I actually was just interviewing uh, Casey Cobb, who runs an agency over in San Francisco, and his big thing is what's called the DISC personality test. And if you, you take this, and it tells you what dimensions you excel on, what you don't, and it gives a lot of insights into just how you operate as a person, which is one makes it easier to identify just intuitively. Like these are tasks that. Not that I'm not good at, but they're just not suited to me. But it also helps you understand other people on your team and how they operate. Because when you get a lot of different personalities in the mix, when your team does start building, these things really matter.
1: Yeah, it does. It does. And because people have a tendency to think that everyone acts and thinks like they do. But Mm -hmm. it it is so not the case. Like There's just so (laughs) many different ways that people come into problems and come up with solutions.
0: yeah I I know and that's something that in just the past few weeks after talking with Casey and going through some of those assessments myself it's like wow okay now I can understand why certain things I do just completely annoy my girlfriend when I think I'm just being normal and all these other Mm -hmm. things it's like okay I get it now but (laughs) but no to wrap things up Keith I'm curious if, if listeners want to follow along to see what you're up to at DelphiNet to see about some of your projects where
1: should they go um, so the best place that has everything we have is called developyourmarketing.com. Um, and that has the agency page. It has links to Segmentric Summit. Um, great way to get in contact me with me and everything. So everything we do right there, developyourmarketing.com.
0: Awesome. And I'll make sure to get all of that linked up in the show notes. And Keith, I just want to say thanks again for coming on the show and for sharing everything.
1: That was really a fun talk for Andy, me. Thanks so much, man. It was great.
0: If you want to grow your agency, eventually you're going to have to start hiring. But if you've done that before, you know how frustratingly difficult the process can be. Keith tried hiring people from different cultures, people with different skill sets, people with different strategies, from nearshore, offshore, freelancers, consultants, employees. Keith tried everything. But at the end of the day, what he found is that regardless of where you look and whom you look for, it is really hard to find people that are truly invested in your company. And that is a criteria that Keith says makes a successful employee. And when you have a small team, adding just one person who's a bad fit can be a huge mistake because they can have such an impact on the overall company and its culture. So at these early stages, it is even more crucial to be careful with those hires. And Keith gave ideas on how they ensure somebody is a good fit before bringing them on board, like hiring well in advance of the need, starting new hires on small test projects. But honestly, I really think that Keith's advice can be summed up quite simply. Hire people who care. This is much easier said than done, but it's crucial to keep that in mind while your agency grows. That's all I have for you this week, but before I go, I have one favor to ask you. If you enjoyed this episode, could you just take a minute and head over to iTunes and leave a review for the show? Reviews are one of the best ways to spread the word about this podcast, so it would really mean a lot to me. All right, I'll talk to you next week. See ya.